0: If you have your Bibles, you might like to turn to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. And on these uh, August Sundays, for four Sundays of the month of August, we're looking through the earlier verses of Colossians 3 under the general heading of Risen with Christ. Sit down, Alan, and be quiet, would you please? We are a church church on two sites, and uh, what we're doing here, we're doing in parallel also at 5.02 in Ashley Road, and Matt Painter will be looking at exactly these same verses that we're looking at this morning, and we'll be kind of uh, preaching in parallel. Now, this is a chapter with a lot of practical instruction, but whenever Paul gives some passages of practical instruction, he always begins by telling us who we are. It's never what we do before Paul actually tells us who we are. Uh, Because of who you are, then this is what you can do. And so last week we looked at verses 1 to 4, which are absolutely foundational to this particular chapter. And in verses 1 to 4, Paul tells us to think about who you are, specifically that we are raised with Christ, and because we are raised with Christ, we have new life right now, Uh, we have or will have new bodies in the future, and we even have new seats to sit in because we're raised up and seated in heavenly realms in order to view the infinite riches of God's grace. And then again, we have died with Christ, And we've died to our old life, which is why we can be raised to this new life. And then also, one day when Christ returns in majesty and glory, we'll be coming with Christ. So this is who we are. We're raised with Christ, we've died with Christ, we're coming with Christ. And Paul makes this absolutely foundational uh, to the practical instruction that he's going to bring. Grasp who you are because it means that we can always live and think above our circumstances. It's important to realize that Christianity is not escapism. Christianity is uh, what you can call incarnational. Uh, And just to explain that, when God became flesh and lived amongst men and women, that was called the incarnation. And Christianity is incarnational in the sense that we don't disappear from the world, but we live in the world. We live amongst other men and women, and we receive all the challenges and all the difficulties and all the problems and all the pressures that come with that. We're incarnational as Christians. We're not escapist, but we are at the same time risen with Christ. And that is what gives us a certainty for now and gives us a hope for the future. So grasp hold of who you are. And then Paul, having said that, picks up in verse 5, and he says, "Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature: sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these: anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And I want to pick up and emphasize, first of all, the word, therefore which is in uh, verse 5. Put to death, therefore. And this is so important because in the following verses, Paul is going to tell us about things we should be putting off, and then later on, and we'll see this next week, things that we should be putting on. And he says, therefore, put off, therefore, put on. Now, We want to say in this church that surely all our emphasis is on the grace of God. Uh, Is there not a danger that we're immediately getting drawn into some form of legalism here? Because surely what we've been teaching is that salvation is a free gift. It is a a work of God's grace. It's uh, unmerited, it's undeserved, it's unearned. Salvation is given to us freely by the grace of God. And because it's God's gift, because it's a work of grace, in a way, that is what gives us our confidence that we are raised with Christ. Because God has given us this gift. Now suddenly we seem to be reading something rather different. We're reading Paul saying, don't do this, don't do that, and do do this, and do do that. I mean, are we being conned here? Uh, We're kind of invited to come to Jesus just as you are, that God accepts you just as you are, you cannot buy your salvation, you can't earn your salvation, you can't good, good work yourself into salvation, come to Jesus as you are, God accepts you as you are, uh, the unconditional love of God receives you just as you are and then you cross the line of belief and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and then you, you get this, well here's the deal now, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And suddenly, is it that abundant life has become abundant rules? Now, let me just say something about what we call legalism. Legalism is where, by our own efforts and by our good works, we try to impress God by what we do. We're seeking to win his blessing, we're seeking to win his favour, and we try to do that by what we ourselves are doing or not doing. And probably at the same time, we're also seeking to fulfill the expectations that we think other people have got of us. Now, I have to say that over the years, there are fashions in legalism. It changes somewhat over the years. I think many years ago, there would have been a time when people would have felt that actually what you shouldn't do was wear makeup. You know, that would be something that would be displeasing to God. And that kind of fashion passed by, although I've maintained it myself, but nevertheless, that fashion did pass by. And, and then again, there would have been a time when people would have said, well, maybe you know, we shouldn't wear jewellery. That, uh, you know, that wouldn't please God. Wendy Virgo, a wife of Terry Virgo, father figure of New Frontiers, she, she told lovely story years ago. She said as a, a young woman, as a young Christian, she was going down a, a high street and she was wearing a really big pair of dangly earrings. And as she walked down the high street, she saw, saw coming up the, the high street a very famous, well-known Christian leader. And she panicked, what if he sees me in my earrings? And she fled into a shop and hid there until she passed by. Now, she said, uh, years later, she realised you wouldn't have cared less about her earrings, but that's the kind of thing legalism does to you. You know, you've got to kind of fulfil the expectations that you think other people might have of you. Now, the times it would have been, you know, shouldn't go to the cinema or that you shouldn't dance. I remember I actually had a struggle on this with colour television. I can remember when colour televisions came in, we had a black and white television, but it didn't seem right that you had a colour television. I mean, that... Was, and so, you know, God wouldn't be pleased with the fact that actually you you had a color television. He'd be pleased that you had a, a black and white television, but if you could see it better in color, he wouldn't be pleased with that. I mean, it's the kind of thinking you, you kind of got into with legalism. Now, here's a true story, the others have been as well, but this is, this is a, a true story. Uh, Sue and I, we knew a, a, a pastor and his wife in the Middle East uh, a number of years ago, and they came from a very legalistic background. Uh, But they got in touch with new frontiers and were being drawn in, and uh, they were getting to understand the message of grace, but they were still struggling to really get free of legalism. Uh, A big breakthrough came one birthday, uh, when the wife, uh, she had a birthday, and her husband, the pastor, he gave her a gold watch. Now, she never previously would have worn jewellery, but he, he'd got through somewhat, and so he gave her a gold watch for her birthday, and uh, obviously she took it and was grateful. But a couple of months later, they were sitting down at breakfast, and her husband suddenly said, you're not wearing that gold watch anymore. And then she said, "Well." When it was the church gift day, I I put it into the gift day, (laughs) and that was her way of kind of getting rid of it because she felt slightly guilty about having a piece of jewelry that was a gold watch, and she'd given it into the gift day and disposed of it in that way. And that's the kind of thing that happens with legalism. Now, let me tell you legalism's big mistake. Legalism's big mistake is this. It misses the word, therefore. You have been raised with Christ, Paul says therefore. And uh, it's because we have been raised with Christ, therefore we put certain things off or put certain things to death. What we need to understand here is that we have the opportunity as believers to show the majesty and the dignity of our life in Christ. You know, we're not just ordinary human beings. I've sometimes had people say to me, oh, I can't stop doing that because I'm just human. The response is, no, you're not just human, you're born again. (laughs) You're a new creation. Uh, You're a new person. Therefore, because you are raised with Christ, not to be legalistic, but because you are raised with Christ, therefore, put it off. Not to impress God, not to gain a favour, not to try and impress others, but to show the dignity and the majesty of who we are in being raised in Christ. And then also we need to understand we can answer a question here. And it is a question that in some ways, even subconsciously, probably all believers ask. They may not ask it quite like this, but subconsciously it's there. If I'm raised with Christ, if I'm in Christ, if I'm a new creation, then how do I actually live it out? And subconsciously, that will always be in a a new Christian's uh, kind of mind, even if it's not expressed in quite the way I've put it. If you go to chapter 2 of Titus and verse 11, there's an indication about this. Titus 2 and verse 11, uh, where Paul, Paul writes like this. He says, "'For the grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all people.'" It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright and godly life in this present age. So the grace of God that brings salvation actually teaches us to say no. And what we need to understand here is that in a sense, all of us intuitively, when we become believers, want to say no to certain things and yes to some other things, but really I need some help. What is it that I should say no to? If I'm a new Christian, what is it that uh, will help me to grow in my Christian life? What What should I put off? What should I put to death? And the practical teaching of the New Testament answers that question and answers that appeal. These kind of passages tell us what we actually really want to do. They actually answer the deep desires of our heart. Now, I'm going to say something that whenever I said, I tend to say this is the one thing in my message that if you forget everything else, I'd like you to remember because so many Christians don't really grasp this as they should. What I want you to really get hold of this morning is this For the Christian believer, the Holy Spirit replaces the law. As Christian believers, we are no longer living under law. If you go to Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, there's a verse that spells this out absolutely, where Paul says, but now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written law code and I found over the years that you have Christians you get clear on the fact that you can't be saved by working the law you can't do it by your own effort you can't do it by your own achievement you can't be saved by the law but then very often you get the idea that you can be sanctified by the law Having become a Christian, now you can live the law and you can be made holy and more like Jesus and sanctified by the law. And I want to say no to that on the basis of Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Friends, we have died to the law. We're not meant to go back and marry the law again after we've been saved. We're divorced from the law. We've died to the law because now we have the Holy Spirit And it's the Holy Spirit that guards us and guides us in our behavior. The Holy Spirit doesn't go, wee! anything goes. The Holy Spirit helps us, guides us. The Holy Spirit has authored the scriptures to show us what we actually deep down want to do. And so uh, we find again that uh, we are helped with this question of if I'm raised with Christ, how should I actually live it out? which means that we can also demonstrate what we are, that we are raised with Christ. It's interesting in this passage that we're looking at, here in verse 7, Paul says, you used to walk in these ways. Uh, Talking about things like impurity, lust, and evil desires. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul says, that's your old life, that's the way that you used to be. But actually now you put that off because you were raised with Christ. And you go on even more strongly in verse 9, Paul says, "'Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator.'" Will you please notice that Paul doesn't say, now that you are raised with Christ, take off your old self and put on the new self. He says, now you are raised with Christ, you have taken off your old self. You've already done it. Your old self is off. It's gone. And you've put on a new self because you're raised with Christ. Therefore, because that is what has happened, this is how you can now live. Perhaps the greatest verse in all this is Romans six eleven, where Paul says, "Consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God." Wonderful! We're dead to sin, dead to the old life. We're now alive to God. Therefore, this is the way that we can live. Put in the way of an illustration. I've been a husband for over fifty years. Over 50 years ago, soon I got married. It was a a, a, a Christian service, but of course there was a legal part to it. We were legally married, so we've had a long legal marriage. But I tell you this, however long it's been, however legal it is, it could still be a lousy marriage. My responsibility as a husband for over 50 years is to live up to what I am. I'm a husband, therefore live like it. You can be a husband and not live like it. But if you are a husband, what you need to do is to live like it. And that then contributes to a happy marriage. We're raised with Christ. That's what we are. Therefore, live up to it. And that will help to make you a happy Christian. Raised with Christ, therefore... Put to death, put off. If you're a believer here this morning, there is a therefore on your life. You're raised with Christ, therefore. Okay, let's go on to what it is that we should put off. And we're going to deal very quickly here with four things. And the first thing that we have to put off is there in verse 5. And Paul says... Put to death, therefore, put off, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. So what we are to put off is sexual immorality. So Paul begins with sex. Well, he would, wouldn't he? But you need to note here, Paul does not, does not, does not say put sex to death. He says put to death sexual immorality. And he uses words that cover things like sex outside of marriage, pornography, and sexual abuse. Put those things to death. The Bible is not against sex. The Bible never says put off sexual desire. Sexual desire is not wrong. We need it. Or soon there will be no people. I've read and heard reports that in Japan, less and less people are having sex because they are so dedicated to their mobile phones and their gadgets and their iPads and uh, their laptop computers, and they're so into that, they're having less and less sex. If it goes on like this, the only thing that will be left in Japan in a generation's time will be iPads, mobiles, and laptop computers. All right? You need to have sexual desire. The Bible is, uh, is wonderful in the way it teaches about sex, I think. It says, celebrate sex. Some wonderful verses in uh, Song of Songs. Let me just read a, a couple to you. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8. Listen, my beloved. Look, here he comes. This describes your husband, ladies, in the morning. Leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. <clears throat> my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall. <laughs> Gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, and my beautiful one, come with me. That is not come with me, we're going to Marks and Spencers, okay? (laughs) It's a celebration of sex. And even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where it says, Don't deny each other except for a season of prayer. It doesn't tell you how long the season of prayer is. And you can get through the Lord's Prayer in two to three minutes, okay? So. <laughs> and then the Bible would encourage us to be realistic about sex. Be realistic. Put off sexual immorality. Singles, you can think, we've got the problem. Marrieds can, we can't. So, marriage are okay. I want to say to all of us, marriage are equally tempted to sexual immorality. So when I read OK and uh, magazine, which I do in the Dentist when I'm there, uh, I see these or Hello magazine—I vary between the two. Uh, <laughs> I see these articles on celebrities that have just got married, and they're beautiful people. And you think, wow, you know, they're, what a beautiful-looking couple. And, you know, they got married, wonderful. And a few years later, you find out that one of them's having adultery with somebody else. You know, it's just just there in, in the world scene. You know, what seems to be the perfect marriage of beautiful people, how quickly it breaks down. Impurity can come through looking at the wrong magazines or getting onto the wrong sites on the internet. And marriage can do that, I can assure you. And when it comes to sexual abuse, it's not just singles who have committed sexual abuse, it's marriage as well who've done that. So be Realistic. Singles and marrieds are tempted to sexual immorality. And the Bible would also encourage us to be ruthless about sex. The sex drive is very strong, therefore you need to be ruthless. Saying no or don't is not enough. Paul doesn't just say don't. You would say to me, yes, he does. He says, put sexual impurity to death. But I want to say, he doesn't just say, don't. He says, therefore, since you are raised with Christ, put off sexual immorality. And you may need to be ruthless about it. That's the story of Joseph, isn't it? He was uh, tempted. There was an attempt to seduce him uh, by Potiphar's wife, if you remember the story in Genesis, what did Joseph do when the temptation came? He could only deal with it by being ruthless, and he ran right out of the house and right away from a woman trying to seduce him. And we need to be ruthless. Some people find accountability groups where they can be open and honest with a, a group of men or a group of women, according to your sex, about these issues. And that's good, and I would encourage that, except you can lie in an accountability group, and I've known that happen. Maybe some magazines your problem. We'll go and shop elsewhere. Be ruthless about it. Maybe pornography is your problem. Get a block put on your internet. It's not difficult to do that, if that's your problem. Positively, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and singles love the Lord with absolute passion. Put off sexual immorality, not put off sex. But because you were raised with Christ, therefore, put off sexual immorality. Also, put off greed. Now, the word for greed is an interesting one. It's also there in uh, verse 5 or 6 of the, Is it? Uh, verse 5. Uh, put that off. It's an interesting word, uh, greed, because the literal Greek word is having more. So, what we're to put to death or what we're to put off is having more. Having more than you need or... Having a lot more than you need and you can work that out in all sorts of ways and so uh, it could be with money that you know just have this desire all the time to have more and you can be rich or poor and you can be greedy about money or it can be food and it's all about having more and a lot more than I need let me tell you what the preacher's danger is it's having more recognition that people would recognize me as a preacher and give me more opportunities and invite me to preach in other places. That's, uh, That's having more people recognize me. All of us are tempted in some area of greed. I find it interesting that the Bible here says that greed is idolatry. Why? Because it's worship of self. Greed is always more for me, more for me, more for me, a lot more for me. I put myself at the centre and greed is idolatry. We need to stop worshipping ourselves because we've been raised with Christ and he's the centre of our life and he deserves the more, not me. He deserves the more, more worship and more praise. I think we need to be careful too, just as we consider this, how we tend to judge other people so we hear of someone in sexual sin, and that is absolutely shocking, we say, that they're in sexual sin. Yes, I'll have another donut, and I'll, yeah, I'll have another donut, and I'll have a donut. And actually, you can be judgmental of others and see sin in others and actually still be worshipping yourself. We need to be very careful about that. So put off greed, because it's idolatry. And then put off wrong speaking. That's there in verses 8 and 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. So I should have read verse 8 as well. You must also get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Basically, we're to put off wrong speaking. That is so hard. Every one of us here would say, I wish I had never said that. There's something, you know, that all of us will have that in our minds and consciences. I wish I'd never said that. In James chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, well-known verses, no human being can tame the tongue to rest as evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse humans who've been made in God's likeness. We know that we can do that. We can praise God with all our might, with our voice, and yet we can say cutting things about other people and slander them. We've all done it. Here's a, here's a personal story. Uh, I'm going to drop a name here. I once and I once spent a day with John Piper and his wife. <laughs> And uh, it was before a con- uh, conference over here, and uh, uh, we were asked if we would look after them for the day. And uh, we, I decided at some point during the day to take them up into the church building where the conference was being held to show John Piper where he was speaking the next day. And as we came up into the, the main hall of our church building, we had a bookstore. I, I didn't actually realise it was going to be laid out, but there was a bookstore laid out with all John Piper's books on it. And John Piper looked at these books, uh, which of course were a considerable number, and he said, wow, you've got all my books over here. And I said, yes, we want to help you with your royalties. (laughs) And the next day, John Piper was speaking in the conference And he said, uh, my books are here. Um, You're welcome to purchase them at the end of this meeting if you feel they would help you. just want to make the point that none of the royalties from these books come to me. They all go to the mission of extending Christ's name throughout the whole earth. And I mean, I was under the the chairs, (laughs) I can tell you. And we've all had that. We've all got a moment like that. Friends, we're raised with Christ. Therefore, put off wrong speech. And I would suggest not just being negative about it. You know, I'm driving along, brum, brum, and then somebody cuts me up, and I'm going to shout and scream at them. I will not be angry. I will put off wrong speech. No, let's be a bit positive. I'll praise the Lord, okay, and I'll sing a song as they go sailing by. All right. And it says here, put off slander. It's not just that I won't say bad things about somebody. Let's say good things about that person. I've never known anybody that I haven't felt negative about that actually I can feel really positive about too. You can always bring good things. Let's be those that speak things up about people, not slander them. Friends, this isn't legalism. We're raised with Christ. This is a matter of living up to what we are. And then lastly, put off wrong attitudes. That's there in verse 11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, civian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now first, this verse doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't seem to be about put something to death or put something off. But actually, it's about putting off wrong attitude to others. I want you to notice the word here. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew Here is in the church. He's talking about here in the community of God's people. Well, what are the bad attitudes? Well, they're indicated by these couplets that, that Paul gives. He speaks about Jew and Gentile. Uh, Jews and Gentiles were so opposed to one another, they hated one another. Jews particularly hated Gentiles. You could see this as racism, I think. Jews would say they are not like us. Gentiles are not like us. It was a kind of racial attitude. If I was preaching in Africa, I would say it was tribalism. One tribe says about another African tribe, they are not like us. Friends, not here. Not in the church. And then there's circumcised and uncircumcised. I think this is probably about snobbery. Where you dismiss somebody, of course, as far as a Jew was concerned, they're not circumcised, we dismiss them, they're not one of us. It's a kind of snobbery. When we have that kind of attitude towards other people, oh, they're not one of us, and we dismiss them. Hey, not here, not in the church. And then there's barbarian and civilian, which re- probably refers to culture. Uh, the Jews, the Greeks, reckoned they were pretty cultured people, but the barbarians and Scythians, they were of another culture, and boy, were they outside. And so the barbarians were beyond the Roman Empire, and they were barbarians because the language they spoke sounded like bar ba 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 bar bar ba so they were barbarians. That's how they got their name. But the Scythians... oh! Think of the barbarians being bad, but the Scythians, you know what? They never even washed themselves. They were just filthy, dirty people. And there's a kind of uh, rich and poor thing here, a a kind of cultural difference here. These people are beneath us. Friends, not here, not in the church. And then there's slave and free. And that refers to class. Uh, I suppose if I was in India, I have done and I would do, I'd refer this to the caste system which is still endemic in India. They're not of, not, of our, not of our caste. They are different to us. It's that attitude. Friends, not here. Not in the church. Why? Because we're raised with Christ. And Paul says here, he says, because Christ is all. And that means that Christ is all that matters. And that Christ is in all. That means that Christ is in all believers. I wonder what our biggest cha- uh, ch- uh, challenge would be here. Maybe it would be racism. Possibly racism would be our biggest challenge amongst this lot. I'm raised with Christ. I've got a white skin. You're raised with Christ. You've got a dark skin. But the only thing that matters is that Christ is in us. That's all that matters. Romans 15:7 says, Accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you. And if I'm raised and if I'm justified and if I'm forgiven and you are raised and you are justified and you are forgiven, how can I not accept you? I'm English and I'm raised with Christ. Well, fill in the blank. You're Scottish, you're French. But if you're raised with Christ, all right, we accept one another. That's all that matters because Christ is an all. And when there's a fallout between believers, you must always attempt reconciliation because Christ is in all. Some years ago, I I got into a bad relationship with an elder in the Middle East. I was working with a church there for many years, 17 years, and we had a difficulty in the leadership. And this particular leader who I'd worked with for 17 years, he felt that he should resign from the eldership and lead the church. And the day came when I had to get some formal legal stuff off him so the church could continue even though he was leaving. And, you know, in English, if you said to somebody, to the English kind of mindset, if you said to somebody, look, we may never see each other again, I think you would recognise that you were saying that in sorrow and grief. And I said this to Roger. I said, Roger... We may never see each other again. We've been working for 17 years, and I was broken up by it, cut up by it. I was distressed and grieving about it, and I set it out of my grief. But Roger came from a different Middle Eastern culture, and he didn't hear it like that. What Roger heard me say was, I don't ever want to see you again. And so our, our relationship just broke down. But Christ's in me, Christ in Roger, and I was determined it wasn't going to rest there. And we worked at it for two years and got back fully, totally reconciled. And he came back into the church and into leadership. You've got to work at it because Christ is in you and Christ is in him or Christ is in her. We must put off bad attitudes. So we live the Christian life, but it's not legalism. Our life is Christ, therefore put to death. We are risen with Christ, therefore put off. specifically put off sexual immorality, put off greed, put off wrong speech, put off bad attitudes. We can live this life with majesty and dignity. We can live the life we want to live. This then is how to live. We are raised with Christ. Therefore, let's stand together, can we? Father, we want to thank you this morning for... The foundational truth spelled out in this passage, that we're raised with Christ, that we've died to our old life, that uh, our life is now hidden with Christ in God, that one day we are coming with Christ in glory. Again, Father, I pray, even those that weren't here last week, they may grasp hold of who we are before we think of what we do. And, Father, we so often want to rush straight to what should we do, but, Father, the glorious thing is what we are, that we're raised with Christ. Therefore, and, Father, I pray that in this church we may live to the majesty and the dignity of our life in Christ, without sexual immorality and without greed, and without bad language. And without bad attitudes Lord I pray that here in the church we may never dismiss one another because Christ is in you and Christ is in me and that is all that matters rich or poor lighter skinned darker skinned uh, from a good background or bad background so-called employed or unemployed all those things disappear under this truth, that Christ is in you, Christ is in me, and Christ is all that matters. Build us, Lord, as a faithful community to live to the praise of your glory. We're raised with Christ, therefore. Amen.